we're alive, we're here, and we're here to worship. So let's bow to the Lord in prayer and ask for the Spirit's help today. Father, again, we, we thank you this morning, Father. And Lord, just as I was saying to my brother John before, Father, Lord, it really is a, a blessing to just be a worshiper of you, Father. That, that doesn't happen in and of ourselves, Lord God. That is not in us to do that naturally, Lord God. And you supernaturally stepped in, Father. You've opened our eyes to your greatness, Lord God, and to the reality of our condition before you, Lord God. So we are here as, as your children who are saved, who are redeemed, Father God, that have a perfect, perfect master. And Lord, we just want to thank you for that, Lord God. And we want to express our love and our gratitude to you, Lord God, by upholding your word, Father God. And trying our best to learn it and to understand it, Lord God. And, of course, Lord, to apply it to our lives, Father. And we know that we can't do that in that natural state, the natural man who does not worship you. So, Father, again, we pray for the Spirit's help this morning. We know we have it, Lord God. And we believe that with every fiber of our being. And I pray for those, maybe, Lord, that are struggling, maybe, in that area of belief, Lord God. I remember what the scripture said where the man said, Lord, help my unbelief, Lord. You know, we don't have perfect faith, Lord. Our, our flesh does get in the time. So, Lord, again, we, we trust you that you're going to help us, Lord. So we pray that you would do that this morning. And we pray that everything that we do and say here today, Lord God, would be well-pleasing in your sight. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so open up to chapter 3 in 1 Corinthians. This would be 1 Corinthians chapter 3, part 3. I'm going to finish the chapter this morning, Lord willing. And let's just do a quick little review. So last week, we learned of two types of builders in the body of Christ. And the first were wise builders, right? Wise builders building off the one true foundation, which was Christ, with good materials. And the second... We're foolish builders, building off the one true foundation with poor or cheap materials. And we saw that these builders first represent the leaders and teachers of the church. And that the materials, metaphorically, speak of the doctrine that these leaders are teaching. The good materials would be sound doctrine, good doctrine, teaching that comes from the Word of God. It's consistent with the foundation who is Jesus. It's an extension of His teachings which come from Holy Scripture and it does not come from anything else. And on the contrary, the bad materials represent worldly teachings that do not come from God. They're man's ways. They're, they're, therefore, because it does not come from God, it's not going to benefit anything or really have any true value and certainly not going to have everlasting, eternity, eternal value in heaven. But because the leaders and the teachers shepherd and teach the flock, they also, in a sense, fit into the passage as builders as well. So the flock, the whole church, fits into this passage as builders as well. They are workers in God's house. Every one of us here are workers in God's house. Um, 
All of us here at Bible Baptist Church are workers here in this local body. We all have a role. We all have a part, right? And everyone's role is important because God's the one that has equipped us and ordained a role that each of us is to be true to, okay? And again, if we do that correctly, it has eternal benefit. And it has present benefit even here now as well. So in our passage today, there seems to be, at least to the best of my understanding, okay, a third group of people. But I do not believe that this third group is part of the church. I do not think that they are part of the body of Christ, but nonetheless, they are among the church and can be, or can be among the church. But them being among the church is not the problem. As a matter of fact, I want people who aren't among the church to be here so that they can hear the truth of God's word. Now, we all want that, right? Hey, come to church. That's great. Now, we don't cater to mess- the message to them. Okay? In one sense, they should feel uncomfortable. And that might make them leave, or that might bring them to repentance. We don't know. Right? So the problem isn't them being among the church. The problem was that they're not just among the church, but they have become influential and prominent in the church. Now, that now becomes a problem. Right? So perhaps they have even rose up to be the shepherds of the church. And that's never good when you have an unredeemed shepherd of God's people. So this passage, I believe, is going to be most beneficial to us when we take it as a warning. Just a verse to go through with this. If you turn to Acts chapter 20, in verse 29 to 32. Again, this is Paul. I might have already mentioned this verse maybe earlier in Corinthians. Paul is giving his farewell address to the Ephesian church. And this is what he says in verse 29. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert Remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Just imagine what Paul was going through during this time as he was serving and ministering in in Ephesians. Verse 32, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, that is, Scripture, theology, the truth, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So you notice that the, 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 what's being elevated here is the word of His grace. The very word that we're studying today that we uphold and prize very highly. So we are reminded of the importance of the word in particular which is able to build up or edify. And with this statement, we are reminded of the principle, again, of faith and how apart from it, we cannot please God. So we're here upholding the Word of God because we believe it, right? We believe it with every fiber of our bearing, and that is what we stand on. We stand on His Word. We're not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, right? So we uphold it. So... Before I get into this passage, I want to point out again that 
and I, keep, I, I find myself keep saying this, just because I, I, I want to be safe and I want us to not be confused, that this is, again, a real church, not an apostate church. Okay? True believers, individually, can never become apostate. Okay? I believe apostasy is a particular sin of the unredeemed. Not every unredeemed person is an apostate or does the sin of apostasy. Okay? It's a unique one because it's unbelievers that somewhat claim to be believers are within a church that is under the helm of Christianity. Okay? But I believe it is... So, it's a particular sin of the unredeemed, but I believe it is the result of the redeemed, true believers not doing what they are supposed to do. Namely, resourcing to the wood, hay, and straw, which we learned the last week, of the worldly methods and doctrines of man, rather than the gold, silver, and precious stones of the word of the Lord, as expressed in the apostles, before the canon of Scripture was complete, and of course, for us, expressed in Holy Scripture. Right? That is our authority. So it finds its roots in how we build off the one true foundation. And it evolves, I guess we can say, into a completely different building with a different foundation. Right? So as we go through this exposition, because we have now one class, and I know sometimes for me as a teacher, one of my biggest struggles sometimes is I just go through this and I write down my notes. And sometimes the hardest thing for me is getting points Okay, or like a little headings to kind of help flow. So I asked our brother John Oach, Pastor John, to maybe see if he can give me some good pointers to go through this. So I'm going to use the points that he gave me because they make sense to me as well. I sent him my thing. I said, hey, sir, how would you make points for this? And he helped me out. So number one is a reminder of who we are as believers individually and corporately. So let's look at verse 16. It says, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Well, I love that verse. I like it again when we hear it in verse in chapter 3, but it is a little bit different. So this phrase is essentially saying that they should have and ought to have known something, but from the looks of it, from what Paul's been hearing, right, it seems as if they have forgotten. It almost seems as if they have never learned it at all. And that's not good, right? Now, we know that every believer, individually, again, is a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Every single one of us here, who is a true believer in Jesus Christ, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And this is actually, Scripture is very true. Sometimes you always want to know, well, how do we know if someone is truly saved? Well, first of all, only God really knows, right? We can't make that judgment call. But... Scripture does tell us, actually, the evidence of a true believer. Let's look at a few verses. In Romans 8, verse 9. I'm just for the sake of time, if you want to just jot it down so you can look at it yourself, or if you're fast, that turning to the Bible. And sometimes I'll let you do that. Sometimes I want to kind of finish. So Romans 8, 9 says this. However, you are not in the flesh, he's talking to the church, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, what does he say? He does not belong with him to him. In Ephesians chapter 1, in the beginning, again, we read this in verse 13 and 14. It says, In him, Jesus, 
you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. So again, if anyone does not have the Spirit... They are not saved, and they are not a child of God. No one can call Christ Lord except by the Spirit of God. No one can understand the Scriptures except by the Spirit of God. So they cannot understand the things of God and will not find any kind of unity or comfort with the things of God. Right? They will also not find, again, peace. Any peace from scriptures because again they are void of the spirit but God's people have the spirit right so every believer individually is a temple of the Lord and the person of the Holy Spirit and we can even say you know really the whole Godhead because they really they, they, they are one right they are one so but I don't believe again I do not believe that this passage is speaking of believers individually as temples but to the church corporately collectively and locally as a temple so it's a corporate temple the, the church at Corinth just like Bible Baptist Church is a corporate temple with individual little temples right a temple another name for a temple is a sanctuary right it's a sanctuary for believers. And if you understand, what are sanctuaries supposed to be? Gathering places. Gathering places. But what kind of places in particular? Safety, right? So sanctuaries are supposed to be safe places. They are places of refuge. It is safe. One reason is because there is like-mindedness within this place. Right? There is unity because there is agreement. There's something similar about the people that go to a certain sanctuary, right? So Paul is saying to the church at Corinth that they should stop and examine themselves for a moment, recognizing that they are a local sanctuary of the living God, that they were established by the Lord, okay, through the Apostle Paul, for his people, the sanctuaries for his people, who are unlike the rest of the world. Now we can say that here at Bible Baptist Church. And it applies to every other true church meeting right now throughout the world. That we are unlike the rest of the world. We're unlike them. Why? Well, we have the Spirit. We've been born again. We have a new nature. We are now children of, we are children of, the Father, of God. Right? Jesus Christ is our representative. No longer does Adam represent us. Praise God. But we have a new representative. And that's a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. And because we are unlike the rest of the world, they are and we are to think differently. Right? And live differently. Remember that bad teaching, bad teaching ruins and destroys. And on the contrary, good teaching builds up and makes one stronger in who and what they are. And listen, this is not, again, just a principle in a body of Christ. It's a general principle everywhere, right? No matter what context you're in, that makes sense, right? So next I want to give the next two points because it was hard for me to fit them in here. Okay, I probably should have reversed two and three. But again, the next two points, and, and you'll see them as we go through this, are, is going to be a warning for believers to stand firm in their faith and the consequences of not doing so. And 
Number three, a warning to unbelievers that judgment awaits for those who try to tear down what God has built. So let's look at verse 17. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. So for us to understand the meaning of this, I want to first say what this doesn't mean. Okay, so I think that sometimes that's helpful. It's certainly helpful for me. Again, this temple is not the individual believers at Corinth. Okay? Though every believer is also a temple of God, like I mentioned, the context here is referring to many. You, both times in this verse, is plural. Okay? So secondly, no one and no thing can destroy the soul of one of God's children. No one can. No one can take away the spirit from us. We have it. It's the seal of who we are, right? So this, the word destroy is the word pathero in the Greek, which means several things. It means to mar, to corrupt, to defile, to destroy. Very similar words, but they can also be a little bit different. And though individuals are not immune from being corrupted in their minds, again, I do not think that this is the use of the word here in this particular context. But again, I would also say that if we were to take it that way, there's still much to learn. There's still much to learn and apply. After all, the natural man is already corrupt, right? The natural man is already corrupt. And if the new man does not operate according to his new nature, here's Galatians, by walking by the Spirit, right? Then guess what? The corrupt nature is going to come out. The deeds of the flesh, which have to do with the corrupt nature, is going to be prevalent. So again... There's that reality as well. So, in the first use of the word, it is of this word, um, I'm sorry, for defile, or the, the, what's the word here? I'm sorry, what did I say? He will God destroy, the word bathero. The first use of the word is in the present tense. But the second use is in the future tense. That's important. Tenses are important. So, if any man presently seeks to destroy the church of God's people, he will be destroyed by the Lord in the future. That is the reality. Only God has power over the future. Man can make a plan, right, whether it is wicked or good, but ultimately who is in control? God. God determines what the outcome is going to be. Um, I think of just a, a, good, a good verse for perspective here, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. And our Lord says this, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That is the Lord. Right? The fear of the Lord, we know, is the beginning of both knowledge and wisdom. Right? And if we keep this in mind, we'll be apt to do our due diligence in heeding, right? And heeding means paying very careful, close attention to what He says to us in Holy Scripture. So I believe this, again, to be referring to those who are not true believers. (coughs) Excuse me. Whether they are false teachers or the like. Those who seek to destroy God's sanctuary for His people will indeed receive their reward in the future. So, and we know what is that reward going to be in the future, and that reward is eternal hell. Right? Eternal hell. 
But he's talking to the church. He's talking to the church. He's not talking... Well, you can say that's a warning for them, but primarily he's talking to the church, true believers. So again, I said, and the second point here, that a warning for believers to stand firm in their faith and the consequences of not doing so. So I think this is really where we can really start doing our learning here in this scripture. So what ought the church take from this? What ought the church to take from this? Well, first, because the church is to be ruled according, what's well, to be ruled by God, and God alone, right? But it is to be ruled by the under-shepherds, by shepherds. So the shepherds must heed these words, knowing that they are accountable for how they shepherd, right? And how they shepherd has to do with what they teach, certainly how they live, and how they minister, and how they protect the flock, right? Next on. And how they protect the flock. So secondly, because everyone is accountable to heed the words of Scripture, this includes... Who? Everyone, right? All believers. All believers. So if I can bring all this together and come to a conclusion, I would say the following. This is a warning to the church to not veer off from their Lord's teachings. The wood, hay, and straw, essentially, right? Therefore, this is a warning against false teaching and the implementing of worldly teaching or methods and trying to blend them in with the true, perfect, and pure, godly teachings given to us by the Lord and by the apostles, okay, which are also empowered for us to obey them by the Lord as well, right? So it's a warning to not veer off from that. Remember the warnings of the true churches in Revelation, in chapters 2 and 3 in Revelation. Now, I'm not going to go through all those churches. But let me just read Revelation chapter 2, the church at Ephesus. And that was like, that was like the, we can say maybe a pillar church. They really upheld doctrine and all that kind of stuff. Let me just read you verses 4 and 5 in Revelation chapter 2. And this is concerning the church at Ephesus. It says, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deed you did at first, or else I am coming to you, and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Now, if we were to look at what God says to each of these churches in chapters 2 and 3, you guys can read that on your own. You're going to see different language, but yet also very similar type of language. Right? It is language of both encouragement and language of warning. Warning true churches. There is language that can be taken both corporately, their local churches, and again, individually, because every corporate body is a body of individuals. A lampstand. A lampstand is a picture, metaphorically, of a place of light. Right? God's light in a sinful and dark world. Every local body is a light in this sinful, dark world. And we know that individual believers can never lose their salvation or even the description of being a light in this world. Right? 
Jesus said you are the light of the world. Right? But the reality is that they can be very dim. We can be very dim lights. Right? Or, in, in, or ineffective lights. We can also be flavorless salt. Right? And we don't want to be flavorless salt. But nonetheless, they are still light. We are still light and salt. But a local church consisting of smaller individual temples, lights, and salt, can slowly change to become a sanctuary of mixed people, with eventually the majority favoring that of unbelievers. So here you once had a place, a local gathering of saints, true saints. There may be a few, probably there was always a few stragglers there, right? To eventually, it's a church, because we've allowed worldly teachings, worldly doctrines, or we've, we, we didn't heed the words of Paul saying that savage words are going to come even among yourselves preaching stuff that's false. Right? And eventually, it becomes a sanctuary of mixed people. And then eventually, it can grow into a sanctuary that consists of no believers at all. And therefore, it becomes not a candlestick, but a dark sanctuary for Satan's people. That's just the reality. And there's and, and many churches that are that. And yet, they're considered Christian. They might even have some of the same names. Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, whatever it may be. And they're completely dead churches. That's sad, right? And if we take the present context and look at all of history, we will see the progression very clearly. It went from churches of saints, right? Let's think of modern day Turkey. All those churches were in Turkey, I believe, in Revelation, right? It went from churches of saints to churches with less saints corrupted by the blasphemous doctrine of Rome, right? That's syncretism. That's what it was. To being dominated presently now by Islam. None of those churches exist anymore, Right? Bible Baptist Church, we're not guaranteed that Bible Baptist as a local body is going to be standing in the future. It might have the same name, and yet it could be a dead church with no believers if we don't heed the words of Scripture. I think it's so important. Right? So again, taking all this to heart, we must heed these words given to us for our own good, and most importantly, for God's glory. Right? So therefore... He goes back to what he has been saying in regards to being wise according to human standards, right? In verse 18, let's look at it. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish, again, according to worldly standards, so that he may become wise according to God, right? For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. And the main reason is because God is out of the picture. That's why. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless, utterly futile. Right? So the combo of the words for let and deceive here in this text is exopateo, which is a present active imperative. And we've learned before of the importance of looking at the imperatives, the commands, right? in light of the indicatives, things that are matter of fact. So an unconverted man would not be able to obey this command, but we who are redeemed can and should, right? 
All these commands are for us, first of all. And if he's given a command to his church to do something, again, I've said this so many times, it's because we can also not do it. So he's reminding us, the church, to stay surrendered to the Spirit, essentially, and to pay careful attention to what he's saying. Our tendency in our flesh is to do the opposite. The flesh can and will be deceived if it is not put in subjection to the Spirit. You know, and we're not going to get there for quite some time, but 2 Corinthians, towards the end. Again, Paul dealt with it even in the second letter. There was still a lot of correction. And this is what he says. We need to take it to heart in chapter 11, verse 3. He says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Remember when we were looking at that verse in Acts, he says, I did not cease to warn you every day with tears. He was so passionate, right? So we're not immune to being deceived. We're not immune from being carried away by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. I can't tell you how many true believers that I've talked to in my own life the true believers. I, I, I believe it with all my heart and soul. And the reason why I believe it is because they're trusting and relying on no one else but Christ for their salvation. If they're saying that, I can't, it doesn't make a difference what they're doing and how they're living. I'm not saying that maybe something, there's a disconnect there, but that's not my job to call that. But I hear them talk and they have absolutely no discernment whatsoever. Yikes. No discernment whatsoever. Again, because they're not in Scripture themselves at all. Okay, now none of us are perfect. Okay, but they don't do that due diligence to make sure that they study. And that's so important to be able, or even go to church, or be in the right church, or whatever. So important. So let's finish this. Verse 21. So let no one boast in men. For all things belong to you, whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. So let's put what Paul says in a different way. In a different way, but uh, being true to the text. As believers, they are oh, they are the bride of Christ, right? They are the bride of Christ. Their husband is God. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gave himself for them. And he protects them as really a perfect husband. Right? We use the analogy. James chapter 1. Verse 17 and 18. Says every good thing given. And every perfect gift is from above. That is it's from God. Coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. So in the present context of the Corinthian church, there was division, right? There was boasting in self and boasting in others. And, be a, and, 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 being a, and boasting and being identified 
with others rather than boasting that they were identified with Christ, all of them, together. And there was all kinds of immorality within the church of God. An infantile thinking based on the wisdom of mankind. This is the true church, right? The very blessings of God to His church were being received differently than they should have been received, and many of them were even being rejected, right? By them boasting in one man, I am Paul, I am of Apollo, so essentially what they're saying is you're rejecting all the other God-ordained men and what they had to say and what God had to say through them. Not good, right? Ephesians chapter 4. Why don't you turn there because it's a bunch of verses. Open to Ephesians chapter 4. Because it really, I think, helps us understand this. So again, going back to the context, these, these first four chapters really are somewhat together. Again, Paul rebuking them for what they're doing. Factions and all that kind of stuff. Look what he says here in verse 11. And it says, He gave some as apostles, Paul, Peter, and some as prophets, some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. For what? What does verse 12 say? For the equipping of the saints. For the work of service. To the building up of the body of Christ. The absolute contrary to what Corinthians were at this moment. Right? Completely identifying themselves to a man and completely failing to see the work of God in the other man. And the body is torn down, it's torn apart, really, because there's divisions. There's What happens with divisions? There's arguing, right? There's fighting, there's whatever. Name-calling. So, we're here in this world for this time period, whatever God allows us to live on this earth, for a time. Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Unity is so important. Unity. What is the what is the perfect description or essence of unity? Is who? Right? God. The Godhead. Right. Think of the Trinity just for a second. How unified they are. There, there, there is unity and harmony within the Trinity. They are all equal in their essence. They're not in their function. Right? They're not equal in their function. That means that there is an order. Jesus said, even in the end, I believe it's in Corinthians later on, that even when it's all said and done, even He Himself will subject Himself to the Father. Okay? There's an order within the Trinity, and yet there's perfect harmony. There's perfect unity. There's perfect love within them. Verse 13, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, what we believe, this whole belief system, that in Christ Jesus and a knowledge of the Son of God, to a what? To a mature man. The whole goal of everything is for us to be and grow in maturity. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, 
We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Again, this is saying that there's a possibility. This is what babies do. They don't know yet. They don't know better. Babies listen to their parents. They listen to whatever they're told. Right? We are to listen to whatever we're told by the Father. It says, by the carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all respects in Him who is the head, even Christ, who is our head, right? From whom the whole body, all of Corinth, all of Bible Baptist, all the body everywhere, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So again, I'm finishing very early today. Wow, I thought I was going to go later. (laughs) So rather than boasting in men, they and we ought to have and be boasting in the awesome God that gave us these certain men that he alone has equipped. So we should have respect for those people that God has in our lives, starting with our parents. And maybe if you lacked a parent or both parents, and you're in Christ... Whoever God sent into your life. And as we are in Christ, those who minister in our body, Sunday school teachers, pastors, deacons, whatever, right? These are gifts from God to His people that should be embraced. Not only should they be embraced, they should be shared, right? They should be shared. Because God's the one that did all the equipping. None of us has any ability in ourselves to do anything. Nothing. We can do nothing of any spiritual good apart from God doing the work in us. So if we are Christ's, and Christ belongs to God, and He is God, right? Then we have everything. He withholds no good thing from His people. So again, you must ask yourselves a question. Who are we serving? Right? At a very vital point in Jewish history, this is the beginning of the nation of Israel, right? Joshua's taking them across, right? It's towards the end of his life. Is this the beginning or the end of the chapter? I'm trying to think in Joshua. You know the verses I'm going to say. Choose for yourself this day whom you're going to serve. Is it going to be the God your father served across the river? If I botch up this verse, have mercy on me. Or the gods of those in whose land you dwell. Right? All the false gods. But as for me in my house. And he's saying that so that they would say the same thing. But as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. And guess what? How we serve the Lord. Well, Lord, what will you have me do? Guess what? He's not going to split the clouds and say something new. He's already said it. Right? He's already said it. So are we doing our due diligence? And I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is some of you here. I don't know. I can't make that judgment. But if you're just relying on what's being said on Sunday mornings, well, that's not good. That's, I'm glad you're hearing it. But that's not good. Because you need to be in it yourself. God forbid... And one of us says something wrong. 
and you're not going to have any clue that it's wrong. Well, whose fault is that? Right? Well, it's, it's the fault of the person who's saying it wrong. I get that. Okay? But it's certainly the fault of you not to know that. You know? And it's so important, again, that you would do that. So, again, that's kind of all I have this morning. It went quicker than I thought. But that means that we have some time for discussion. For any questions, I know sometimes I keep going and going and going. I have to remind you guys, again, if there's any questions, comments, or something that is good or beneficial, please, now is the time to do that. Okay? Not a five-minute discourse to say a comment or something. If you have any, if not, then I will close in a word of prayer. Anything? All right. Very good. All right, well, let's pray. Father, again, I thank you. Lord, I I praise God. If there is no questions, that means that you are clear. Because I know I have no ability in myself to be clear. So I'll thank you and give you the glory that only you deserve. Lord God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here. Mm -hmm. And I pray, Lord God, again, that they would take to heart everything that is going to be said here this morning. Everything that you put on the heart of Pastor, Lord God, that again, I believe if you put it on his heart, you put it on, it's for your people, Lord. So again, I pray that we would be attentive, Lord, to what you have to say. And we thank you for it, Lord, because we know that that is for our edification. So help us, I pray, to be able to discern your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.